Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a comic book-centric podcast. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. And if you are just joining us for the first time, the premise of this podcast is we talk about everything comic book related, movie comic book related, TV comic book related, and we actually have a little bit of music this week as well. We answer all of your questions. So if you have any questions for us about any of those things, you can email us at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Dave here is our expert on comics, or at least he knows the right people to ask in order to seem like an expert. I am your stand-in listener, and I am here to ask follow questions for you. Also joining us this week, we have a special guest uh, to the podcast. She is also knows way more about comic books than I do. Please welcome Gail Folsom. Hello, Gail. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. You've listened, Gail, the reason Gail convinced me that she should come on, not that it took much convincing, is she said she listened to all of our episodes in the car and had to pause so that she could sort of <laughs> yell back at us. So uh, she's, she's here with some extra knowledge. Um, and just just so you know, we've got two sections in this podcast. We've actually kind of got a few more this this week but in terms of the question section we're gonna have a regular section where we are going to talk about things in a quite a safe and easy manner and then we're gonna have an advanced section or what we like to call a spoiler section where we let the leash off gail and dave and they can talk about anything they want to and not worry about spoiling upcoming movies if they have knowledge about which character died in which storyline we're gonna see so Uh, Before we get started with your questions, we're going to do a little bit of listener feedback. This first one comes from Pat from Maryland, uh, stalwart Pat, who listens to every podcast ever. And uh, this is in regards to the conversation we had about Gorilla Grodd appearing on The Flash, the TV show The Flash, and whether or not we thought it was a good idea to have a gorilla character on a TV show. And Pat says, I'm not currently watching The Flash because I just don't have the time. Yes, I'm still watching Gotham, so feel free to mock me. But if Gorilla Grodd appears on The Flash this season, I'll gladly forego sleep and get caught up on the show with one condition. Grodd has to be a gorilla. It can't become some kind of human, ape, mutant, or whatever. I don't care if they use CGI or a crappy suit or an actual highly trained gorilla, preferably Preferably, it would be a legitimate, super smart, great ape from a highly advanced hidden ape society to really scratch that realism itch. But I'm willing to let that slide. Grodd is a great villain. Grodd's so impressive, he occasionally has been a Superman villain. So I'd be delighted to see him on the TV screen. But as a gorilla, I'll forgive visual cheesiness and applaud them for going there. So that's a vote for for a hardcore gorilla Grodd on, on Flash. And we're actually going to talk a little later in the episode about what Flash the TV show is doing in terms of tone and realism and how they're they're setting that tone there. So we'll we'll get to more of that. But that's Pat's opinion about gorillas. I like the I, I like the idea of a actual highly trained gorilla on a CW show though. Absolutely. Yes. It's just to be like would he also go to like upfronts? Would they like trot him <laughs> out and be like we got another season of Flash with Coco 2. Oh Say my hi God. Coco 2. He'll be like kill you all. <laughs> Um, would, would Coco 2 wear, like, glasses and a tie, like Beast from X-Men for the upfronts? No? Well, certainly for the White Hat Correspondents Dinner. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Formal. White tie, maybe. Um, and then the next bit of feedback just has to do generally with the, listen, I've, I podcast with Dave Gonzalez a lot. 
And he has a lot of podcast skills, but one of oh, highest among them, not highest, high among them is his ability to find the perfect music for an episode of a podcast. And you guys have been asking some questions about his choices, because uh, he's been picking these cool alternative comic book theme songs to go. Uh, so, and also there were some questions about just about nerd or comic book related music in general. So Dave, A, do you want to tell the people where they can figure out what music you've chosen, uh, what that is called? And B, do you want to talk in general quickly about music and comic books? Uh, yeah, let's see where to go from both of that. I guess music and comic books. We got a question if I was into like uh nerdcore or whatnot and that for those of you who aren't into that is sort of hip hop with uh, nerd based lyrics. There's also these things like wizard rock, which are Harry Potter bands, which I think mm-hmm. have gained more public recognition, just especially around the uh, movie release times. Anyway, yes, I listen to all that, and I also enjoy like how comic books sort of insert themselves into a lot of rap personas in the late '90s. Um, and so, like Ghostface Killer, and uh, you know, basically a lot of the Wu Tang Clan members and their love of genre. Anyway, well, a lot of that will probably come up, and I want to think about maybe doing an edit of some things that we could talk together. But in terms of where I'm getting music for this podcast, I'm mostly going on SoundCloud and searching for like blank, blank remixes, like X Men theme remix. Um, but I will start linking to the things I use in this episode. For instance, at the beginning of this week's episode was Last Sons by Geek Remixed's Fat Boy Roberts. And there will be a link in the podcast descriptions, which you should be able to find by looking down at your podcast device right now. And I will go back and update the, the old ones just for you guys. He sounds so weary, but he is happy to supply these things for you. I promise. I'm more happy that if you guys track these people down and start following those artists and maybe see if they just do superhero stuff or if this is just a weird thing they did to get popular. If I could push you in that direction, that's, that's where linking becomes important. Fatboy Roberts is really great. I love yes. his stuff. So, um, All right. And we did not ask Gail on this episode just to sit there and look pretty. So <laughs> this is going to be a little spotlight for her. Uh, we're going to call this our guest recommend section. Uh, so Gail, do you want to tell us what you've been reading, what you would recommend our listeners pick up if they want to pick up a comic book? Sure. Um, on the, I think it was the last episode somebody had written in asking about um, – comics that you could pick up without having to, you know, hunt down 400 issues of backstory. And uh, there are a couple of comics that aren't, they're not too far in. You could definitely find the back issues for them. And um, you don't have to be, you know, into any particular universe to understand what's going on because they create their own universes. And one of my absolute favorites is Saga. Saga's become... I, I think quite popular. I talk to a lot of people who've read Saga and are and are following it and really like it. The art is absolutely gorgeous. It's it's unusual. Um, it's not like art that I'm seeing in most other comics. Um, and the universe is completely uh, created by the author and artist um, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples is the artist. Um, it's very funny. It's uh, it's poignant and um, the the characters are really. Uh, it's funny. There's a there's a couple characters that I see referenced, even in other comics already. Um, yeah, I strongly recommend Saga. It's a great one if you're into even more indie comics. Um, I'm a long I'm a long term fan of Terry Moore. I really like his stuff. He's self published, 
And um, he's writing a great comic called Rachel Rising, which is much more realistic. It's set modern times in the, you know, in our world. And uh, it has a lot of occultism and mag- magic in it. And uh, that's another one that I would really recommend. So two kind of different sides of the spectrum. Both of them really great. And Dave, did you mention another comic you wanted to bring up on the show this week? Oh, we will get to Chew when Chew <laughs> is ready to be gotten to. But I throw my support behind both of the comics Gail just mentioned. Uh, especially Saga is really interesting. It's an all-digital book, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that, I, I don't know, it's hard to make. They also, uh, Sarah Pacelli, an artist for Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, also was all digital. And it's really, really interesting to see how they've sort of freed themselves from things I've associated with texture in uh, like comic book art. Um, it's really interesting how once you divorce yourself from ever putting it onto a page, how sort of like freeing like backgrounds can be and things. It's mm-hmm. really something to check out if you enjoy uh, yeah, comic book art. There's something sort of painterly about the style in Saga, which to me is very appealing. I just, I, I really enjoy looking at it in addition to the story, which is fantastic. Yeah, it frees you up from like, uh, you're able to access the look of a lot of different mediums without mm-hmm. having to have access to those mediums or necessarily specific skills in those mediums, which I think is a real boon to the fantasy storytelling of Saga. Mm-hmm. And even I've read Saga, folks, so, you know, <laughs> that's how behind you are if you haven't, because mm-hmm. even I'm caught up. So, um, yeah, and I want to say, I, I think it's the Atlantic, Atlantic Weekly had a piece on Saga this week. So, um, as Gil mentioned, yeah. it's it's picking up. I mean, it, it was already, you know, Brian K. Vaughn has a great reputation, so I think it was already um, on the radar of people who know comics, but I think it's starting to spread outside that scope. They, so, do a, oh, they do a really cool publishing uh, sort of stutter step where they do like eight or nine issues and then they stop for like six months and put out a trade paperback. So we're still only, I think, on like issue 24 or 25 and yeah. everything is really available if you want to catch up. There you go. All right, so that is our recommendation section for this week. Uh, We're going to roll into questions. This one is a brief one for all of us. Once again, even I can answer this one. Uh, This is is Gareth from the UK, and he says, What um, has a comic made you cry, happy or sad, tears? What comic would that be? Gail, you want to hit this one first? Sure. Um, I've been asked that before in my go-to, like, possibly the only comic that's ever really made me cry was uh, We Three by Grant Morrison, and um, the artist is escaping me right now, Philip, uh, I can't remember his name, but um, the artwork is beautiful. The The story is fantastic. It's um, Without giving anything away, it's about three animals, a dog, a cat, and a rabbit that have been sort of biomechanically outfitted to be weapons, and um, it's, a, it's a one-shot, I mean, it's a pretty short arc, um, I don't know how many issues there were of it. I have it in trade paperback. It's very short. It's very easy to read. And it has some of the most heart-wrenching moments that I've ever seen in print. And it's a comic. It's just, it's a really, really good one. And um, I, I, again, I really recommend it. It's a fantastic book. Dave, I know you're kind of soulless, but has a comic (laughs) book ever made you cry? 
Well, I mean, I'm going to try to reach for the happy here. And <laughs> I, I don't think like full cry, like tears rolling down my cheeks, but watery eyes definitely was uh, the final issue of the Goblin War story arc of Superior Spider-Man and the final issue of Superior Spider-Man when uh, Peter Parker regains his body from Dr. Octopus and he's fighting the Green Goblin. And the Green Goblin at this point has figured out that Dr. Octopus has been in Spider-Man's body. So he thinks he's fighting an inferior Spider-Man and he makes some sort of comment and Spider-Man replies, well, at least I'm not wearing a man purse. And then there's a panel of the goblin's eyes narrowing and then he just says you and in terms of like the end of a year plus long arc where there was no Peter Parker Spider-Man and as that's my favorite comic book character I was like ah because it's just like the guy's classic villain just noticed him by a quip and they were suddenly facing off against a real threat it was it was amazing Spider-Man I love that answer (laughs) that's great um out of my short uh, catalog of books that I've read, I'm going to go with The Unwritten, which actually Gail mm. um, had me read. And uh, there was some, you know, there was some poignancy to that book for me. I don't know why. I guess I was just in a place where it really moved me. The art on that one is beautiful, too. So yeah. um, that helped a lot. Um, the Peter Carey and – or uh, Mike Carey, Peter Gross. Mike Carey, sorry. And yeah. Peter Gross. For those of you who uh, you know are familiar with the Vertigo universe, they did Lucifer, and um, that it's just as good, if not better. It's a wonderful comic. Yeah. So. Yeah, it takes down Harry Potter right at the beginning, <laughs> right? and then goes from, from the there. Start. <laughs> and then watch out, Moby Dick. They're coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> great. It's a great, great book. All right. Little, little revenge for books of magic, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right, so this is this comes from Luke from the UK. This is kind of a question about Gotham, but not really because none of us, I think, are too solid on Gotham right now. So, um, Dave, are you caught up on Gotham? No, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm at the point where I need someone to tell me yeah. if it's worth <laughs> catching up on Gotham or if I should just wait and do it all at the end. Like apparently, I'm going to do with Constantine to be <laughs> continued in a few minutes. Right, right, okay. <laughs> Uh, so we're not going to talk about Gotham, but I like the question at the end of this this little paragraph. So Luke from the UK says he also dropped out of Gotham a while back, but had an interesting discussion with someone still watching it about the nickname Batman minus Batman, occasionally used, and whether the flaws come from the fact that Batman is the only part of the Bat mythos that they don't want to use on the show. This led to a debate over which comic book characters, if you actually removed all the genre and super heroic elements, would remain interesting enough to read slash adapt. What do you guys think? Would you watch a show about Playboy weapons dealer Tony Stark without the suits of armor or skinny Steve Rogers dealing with being 4F in World War II New York or blind lawyer Matt Murdock defending the downtrodden Hell's Kitchen, etc.? I really liked that question a lot. I think it's a really good one to think about. Um, and I would not watch the the Adventures of Tony Stark, no matter how charismatic Robert Downey Jr. is, uh, or read the Adventures of Tony Stark. Um, but I would I would be interested in Steve Rogers, and I would be interested in Matt Murdock as well. Uh, I think both of those stories are interesting enough on their own without the super heroics around them. Uh, Gail, do you have an answer for that? I think of the three, the only one I would watch is Steve Rogers, but that's because I've got sort of a penchant for World War II heroics, um, even without superheroes. But um, yeah, I, with with Gotham, um, you're, I think it's a it's a not a very apt analogy because all of those worlds are 
very realistic. I mean, Gotham and and Batman have to do with like sort of hyper ridiculous costumed heroes, and I th- I think that's one of the things that the show is really struggling with. But um, you know, if, if you're going to do a Batmanless show, I w- I would rather not see Batman at all. Like. You know, the little Bruce Wayne in the series is my least favorite part of Gotham. And I actually am caught up on Gotham. Um, So, yeah, I think Gotham is struggling with where to its tone and where to go because there is no Batman and they don't really know how to how realistic to make it without Batman. Can you think of a character outside of like the Marvel ones that were just mentioned? Any I know you don't read a ton of the superheroic comics, but any other alter ego that you would be interested in following? You know, um, I'm trying to think because I'm I'm more familiar with the DC universe. Um, I have I guess, a you know, I have an answer. It's a supervillain. Okay, yeah. I would uh, I would see Doctor Doom just running a country. <laughs> Easy. He doesn't right. have to attack the Fantastic Four at all. He just needs to run a country with his uh, very twisted ideals, and they, they just let him do it. They've let him do it for for years, decades. So is it like House of Cards, basically? Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I I guess if House of Cards has like seven seasons and they keep upping the ante, eventually they'll get there. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess I guess it is more interesting to me to see a super villain. Um, and uh, I think, I think that's like, my my favorite part of Gotham is the performance of you know the guy playing Oswald Cobblepot, um, and it, really the rest of the show I I don't care very much about. I don't know if I'll stick with it, but if I if I do, it's kind of to see where that goes. And if, I mean, you're gonna ax, if you're going to ask the hero from a series, I would want to see what the villains are up to. And I think that's most people's – we got a lot of responses because I did put the the call out last week of who's still watching Gotham and why. And a lot of people did respond generally to say the Penguin's the best part um, yeah. and they don't know why they're still watching. <laughs> um, and I, I believe Patton Oswalt – Patton Oswalt went on a, a rant on Twitter, which I love when he does this, uh, all about how he thought Gotham could be brilliant if it were the Penguin show, if it were the world through the eyes of the Penguin and the weird dystopian sort of ramifications of that, mm-hmm. um, instead of trying to follow the Gotham City um, police force, which I know you know, everyone knows that there's a great comic book series. It's Gotham Central. That's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Based on them. And so, but they didn't even do that. Like if they had done that, just the cops of Gotham, that would have been one thing. But they didn't do that. And what they've done is a is a horrible mishmash, I think. And as far as origin stories go, like, you know, the Penguin's origin story is sort of interesting, his rise to power. But for me personally, Gordon's uh, origin story is a lot less interesting because he doesn't seem to change very much as a character. He's the good guy and he stays the good guy. Like, he has very little compromising to do. Right. And Robin Lord Taylor, that was the name of the guy playing Penguin and... Um, He's just, he's much more interesting to me from, you know, going from this weaselly little character uh, or penguiny little character um, <laughs> up, up the line and being still more manipulative and uh, psychotic. He's great. Um, Dave, did you want to talk at all about Gotham Central or, or sort of what you wanted Gotham to be? 
Uh, it's hard having only seen a sporadic few episodes, but really I just want them to have confidence in one thing that they're doing. Mm. Uh, at this point, I think that would take it a long way in the sense that I was attached to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that just was like, here's what we're doing, alien technology, different one every week, here we go, guys. And I was like, oh, all right. Because then, at least if I know what I'm looking at, I know what to expect. Like, for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the good thing about when they were doing that sort of Monster of the Week thing is a bad episode didn't necessarily mean the next week would be bad. Um, And then they used that to sort of find their tone. And then once they knew what they were actually capable of doing well, they were able to sort of build on that. Gotham hasn't turned the corner where it knows what it does well yet, because I think it's still trying to do things, at least from what I could tell from people's feedback. And so hopefully, you know, some of the feedback of how much they like the Penguin trickles down, uh, at least seems plot-wise, that would be possible to sort of close out the season with a big reveal. They're going to be a Penguin-focused show, or at least a show that knows what it's doing by the end of the season. Exactly, and there's that push and pull in television where you don't want... um you know, the powers that be in a television show to follow every whim of the audience. But at the same time, if you have a character like oh, Spike on Buffy or something like that, that, that's a fan favorite and they see that this actor is capable of something and then they build and build and build, um, you know. Yeah, they I, should do a Felicity on Arrow is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, if if uh, Robin Lord Taylor wants to start wearing reve- more revealing dresses on, on Gotham, then that would be great. Uh, okay, so speaking of Batman, <laughs> this question comes from Matt from Utah, and he says, I was wondering if there was ever a Batman storyline where the Cape Crusader loses his wealth, a homeless Batman, if you will, similar to a plot point in The Dark Knight Rises, if I recall correctly. Um, and uh, Dave has a good answer here, but I do want to say that uh, the TV show Arrow gets a lot of grief from some comic book fans for trying to be Batman without being Batman. Uh, A lot of the storylines are ripped from some Batman, famous Batman storylines. And that being said, on that show, Oliver Queen did just lose his fortune. Um, He's doing fine. Like, he's not homeless, Oliver Queen. But there is a whole plot line of of this fallen millionaire of of what do you do when you're no longer um, a millionaire. I mean, he's still kind of acts like he's a millionaire, but he has these uh, wistful moments about his company, you know, Queen Consolidated being changed, the name being changed and all these sort of things. So they're somewhat doing that plot line over on Arrow. Dave, what's your more technical answer here? Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that are like somebody goes after Wayne Enterprises or somebody robs Batman or something. But if you're looking for like a homeless Batman and looking for the thing that The Dark Knight Rises similarity you're looking for was based on, you're looking for uh, No Man's Land, which was a story arc where this earthquake hits Gotham, so they evacuated of all the citizens, and it's left to just the supervillains who form gangs, and those gangs form districts, and then the Gotham, Gotham police form their own gang, and get their own district, and there's sort of this huge gang war over Gotham, and then Batman comes back, and Bruce Wayne is nowhere near it. It's just Batman in the streets trying to gain territory on all of his rogues gallery, and that is by far the best. Batman is not Bruce Wayne, doesn't have any money, and he doesn't have a whole whole bunch of resources. He's just sort of Batman. So, But he still has his um, wonderful toys. 
well, he has to get to some hidden storerooms, which may or may not be in certain territories. There's, it's, it's a long arc, and there's a lot of... It basically goes through every villain, and there was a lot of tie-ins. It is super fun if you could find a whole collection of it. That sounds really interesting, actually. And I'm that not... It sounds like it would make a great game, too. Oh, yeah. 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 Right? Um... All right, so this question comes from Neil from Utah, and he says, first of all, a minor correction that I noted during the last show. This is why Gail's here, by the way. <laughs> Part of the reason why. It's so that we don't make mistakes like this. He says, you kept comparing the Hellblazer setting uh, between uh, London and New York. However, on the TV show, they aren't in New York. He's talking about Constantine. Sorry, I should say. He's talking about the TV show Constantine that's based on the comic book Hellblazer. And I made the mistake last week of comparing it between London and New York, having not seen the show, actually. So that's <laughs> that's my problem. He says the show seems to place uh, seems to take place primarily in Atlanta and rotate in other locations around the South. The last episode took place in New Orleans. I think this works for the show because it's able to have a deep South voodoo kind of vibe to it and makes it a bit more elemental and creepy. The setting allows it to have a bit more of a true detective feel. And I'm wondering also if if The Walking Dead makes Atlanta also an attractive setting for a TV show. Uh, we wanted to talk about Constantine again anyway, because news came down this week that they've capped the show at 13 episodes, uh, which probably means it's only ever going to have 13 episodes, uh, which is makes it the first comic book show in this new era of everything comic book always to fail. Uh, you know, I guess it's not too big to fail. Like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. felt too big to fail felt too big to fail it's too integrated into its universe but constantine is enough of a side thing that it just uh it didn't go and uh yeah so gail as someone who's read hellblazer and watched constantine what are your thoughts here well full disclosure i haven't read all of hellblazer hellblazer is a 300 issue comic and how uh, dare you misrepresent your, your expertise <laughs> but um uh I, I think and this is just this is you know my my completely unprofessional analysis of the situation a friend just asked me the other day um because he knows that i watch constantine and i'm up on constantine should i start watching it and this friend um is not into the sort of vertigo universe you know with sandman and lucifer and constantine and preacher and um and, and so i you know i wasn't really sure like uh well um basically i really like it this is sort of the format and it occurred to me that the the way that Constantine is structured, it sounds very much like Supernatural, and Supernatural um, as a as a storyline, it's it's structured like Constantine, where it's this sort of monster hunter kind of a lot of heaven and hell, and um, the characters are a bit devil may care, not you know, anyway, um, but um, Constantine. Uh, the comic and the and the storyline, which the show is following remarkably faithfully, the episode Feast of Friends, um, with very few exceptions, is exactly like the first issue of or the first storyline in Hellblazer. Um, it's based on like you know a lot of real um, magic traditions and mythology and folklore, and and so that's more interesting to me. I like the character of John Constantine better. Um, but my suspicion is that one of the reasons the show is failing is because it's territory that's sort of already covered by, uh, Supernatural, which is in what it's like, I don't know, it's 11th season. It's just, it's going on and on and on. It's 29th. I can't remember a time when Supernatural wasn't on the air. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's been going for so long. And, 
Um, I, I think that uh, people who are already watching Supernatural will probably not find a reason, reason enough to switch over to Constantine. Uh, people who weren't already watching it probably won't because it sounds too much like Supernatural. And then fans of just John Constantine, I think there's a lot to like about the show. I think that um, Mark Ryan is doing a great job of being Constantine, but I don't think that's enough people to carry it. Um, mm. So, you know, I would re- I would be so happy to see it go on. I think they're, you know, like I said, they're following the storyline. They've made some small changes, um, but they did give him a cigarette in the last episode. Can't recall <laughs> that I saw him actually smoke it, but it was there. He used it to okay. light a bonfire. So, you know, they're trying. Uh, I was really sad to hear it was capped at uh, at 13 episodes. Yeah. Um, and I have to wonder what they could have done at this point to distinguish it from things like Supernatural and also Grimm, which I think is airs right before yeah. it, mm-hmm. is also sort of a similar structure. Right. Um, well, and Sleepy Hollow, right? Sleepy Hollow, Charmed yeah, before it, you know, like, you know, this story has been around. Um, but it is too bad because Constantine is kind of a cool, iconic comic book character and to have a failed Keanu movie and then a failed TV series it's you know and it's too bad because like the Keanu movie really in, in my opinion the only thing really wrong with the Keanu movie was Keanu and I happen I actually like Keanu but he was not John Constantine he was a totally inappropriate choice he wasn't even trying or I don't know maybe that's what he looks like when he's really trying his hardest but it just it wasn't the character at all there were a lot of, you know, great casting choices within the movie. It could have been fantastic. But You're they talking wrote- about Shia LaBeouf right now, right? Aren't you? <laughs> Tilda Swinton right now. <laughs> I was talking about Tilda Swinton. That's okay. Uh, yeah, my favorite, Shia LaBeouf. Um, you know, Rachel Weiss was in it. So, uh, but they wrote John Constantine completely out of the movie because that wasn't him. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's. It, I think it's kind of a shame, but I, I suspect that that's probably why it won't succeed. And it's it's a bummer, too, I think, because um, Supernatural, like, um, Misha Collins, who plays Castiel on Supernatural, has said that Castiel's wardrobe is based on John Constantine's wardrobe, which is also, like, obviously, they were looking at Constantine for source material. Why they gave Castiel his wardrobe, I will never know, because he's not at all like John Constantine, but whatever. <laughs> Trench coats for everyone, Gail. Trench coats coats all around. They make everything better. There have been a lot of movies that are basically Constantine movies, but Mm -hmm. just don't have Constantine. Like I think End of Days is basically a Constantine movie, but just with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the center of it. (laughs) And I'm sorry if I'm going to swap Constantine for someone. It's not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, (laughs) well, is it? it, Was it Keanu Reeves? (laughs) You know, I do like Keanu. I have to say. I didn't hate that Constantine movie as much as most people did, but I didn't. I hadn't read any of the comics at that point, so I didn't. I didn't understand that it was. He not... had to put his feet in water. To <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. Um, all right, we're going to move on to another question that has to do with some comic book news that just broke this week as well. This is Mike from Riverside, and he says, "I really like this choice." Oh, oh, he's talking about. The new director for Wonder Woman, which is Michelle McLaren, who's directed a bunch of X-Files, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. She is my favorite TV director. I had a flip out. 
about this, you know, whatever you want to call it, a nerd meltdown. I don't know. Um, this was my reaction. So he says, <laughs> I really like this choice of Michelle McLaren, given her time on Breaking Bad and her Game of Thrones stuff isn't too bad if a bit samey, given the production schedule that series goes through. But for a second, can we lament my dream of a Wonder Woman directed by Pedro Almodovar or Wong Kar Wai? Dave, this is your chance to talk about the greatness of Perez Wonder Woman and maybe explain legends. Uh, okay, so let me say really quickly that here's my take on Michelle McLaren, which is that when you ha- when you hire a director like Ryan Johnson to direct Breaking Bad, you let Ryan Johnson be do Ryan Johnson, and that's what he does. And he doesn't need to fit the style of the series at all. He just does his thing. Michelle McLaren is an executive producer on Breaking Bad, was a little bit more concerned, I think, with letting her style blend with the rest. And Game of Thrones has even less room for style. That being said, Michelle McLaren's style always does come through. It's not, you know, jarring, but it's noticeable. She has a beautiful eye. And uh, she was a regular contributor to the Breaking Bad official podcast, which I listened to obsessively. And I, that's where I fell in love with her. I just think she is an amazing, amazing creative person. She is exactly from the start who I wanted them to pick. And I never get what I want. And I got what I want. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this this helps ease my pain about Zack Snyder being involved with the introduction of Wonder Woman, because at least then he's going to hand it off to Michelle McLaren, who's involved not just in directing the film, but in developing it as well. Um, Dave, thoughts? Uh, on Michelle McLaren directing Wonder Woman, I think it's going to be sweet. Uh, I hope at least that she lives up to the potential that we all know she has, but... We could also get something like, you know, Alan Taylor's Thor The Dark World, which is fine, but not necessarily notable for being the best directed installment in the Marvel franchise in terms of putting his stamp on it. It should be noted that Alan Taylor was also just a TV director before. Like, Michelle McLaren has never directed any film, nor had Alan Taylor, and he was a Game of Thrones director that they plucked to do Thor The Dark World, which is maybe my least favorite Second least favorite Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, to keep to keep sorry, go ahead. Punching you while you're down. Well, you could you could <laughs> respond after I'm done. I'm just not done yet. I know. Uh, it's it, it seems like when you pull on somebody that it's so good at blending in, like Michelle McLaren is, and then put her in a Zack Snyder universe with a female character, that it's sort of going to be tricky to navigate. So for the rest of this question. I'm not going to lament a dream of a Wonder Woman directed by anybody else because at this point we don't know what this version is going to be and I don't know what I'd be lamenting and we're not ever going to be done with Wonder Woman at least this is while I'm alive. So <laughs> Once again, aren't... you sound so weary. Um... Well, sometimes <laughs> the long view makes me weary. But the point is these, these things are all options. I don't think there's a downside to letting a woman director direct something, nor do I think that she's inherently going to come up with something different because she's a woman director. I'm very excited because she's this person that I've followed since she co-EP'd the X-Files um, <laughs> and then started directing the lesser ones. But yeah, it was, it was pretty sweet to see her get this gig. Um, and what about this legend situation? Do you want to talk about that? Um, I think he's talking about uh, Legends the Eternal, the comic book, maybe. But I'm not exactly sure, and nor have I read Legends the Eternal. So I will get back to that part if uh, I discover something awesome. 
Okay. Gail, do you have any connection to Wonder Woman? Any any sort of chips in this game? I know you have Zack Snyder thoughts. Yeah. Um, you know, any any response to the Wonder Woman movie at all? Uh, only that um, while, while Wonder Woman is not like a, a, a super significant character in my life, I have a lot of... Uh, female friends for whom she's and I, you know I know that this is this is all over the internet and people are getting very very um, excited uh, very literally about the Wonder Woman movie and how it's going to be handled. I know that um, there's there's just a lot of anxiety about how the character is going to be portrayed and um, I from what little I've seen of Michelle McLaren's directing, I like her style very much and uh, I think that she handles sometimes very sensitive uh, gender issues really well. And um, I'm very hopeful. I'm really excited to see what she does with the film. And I'm so happy Zack Snyder's not doing it. Yeah. Not that he was ever considered. I'm just really happy about that, at least. <laughs> Gail and I someday will record a whole side podcast about, about <laughs> Sucker Punch. Dave, you can come too if you want. It's going to be so <laughs> Sucker Punch is just like, with Sucker Punch existing, I'm not happy that it exists, but the fact that it does exist, I now, anytime I need to see a low angle of a scantily clad woman kicking somebody in the head, there, <laughs> there's a slow motion shot of it. I just need to pull up the Blu-ray. Well, there's that resource then. Then it's yeah, doing a, a something. Something good came out of it. Public um, good. <laughs> I mean, I just I just realized I just described it like pornography. So never mind. But the, is there That's a difference? What's the though. difference? Yeah. yeah. What's the difference? Really? I paid for sucker punch. <laughs> Ayo. Ayo. Um. All right. So this this next question. Okay, we've been we've been asked to answer more of these kinds of questions. So if you have more of these kinds of questions, please do write them in. This recalls our. Um, adamantium versus vibranium question that we answered uh or juggernaut versus the blob uh so i like these matchup questions this is nick from australia and he says my question comes from the following classic exchange in the simpsons marge versus the monorail can it outrun the flash you bet can superman outrun the flash uh sure why not i recently watched this episode and wonder if it was if it were possible for you both to answer this question i would also be curious to see a comparison between these two heroes with super speed and quicksilver despite being from a different comic book brand slash property um i am gonna let dave take this one entirely because he knows the answer but i will say that if i were to bet on a foot race between evan peters quicksilver and aaron taylor johnson's quicksilver i would bet on evan peters uh, and that's just my uh, american horror story bias showing there yeah. uh dave what's your what's your tactical answer here no superman cannot outrun the flash any flash he has tried with all of them i will link in the show notes to a website that chronicles each time he is either tied or lost, cannot beat the Flash. Uh, and what about Quicksilver? Oh, I think at some point Quicksilver used to top out at Mach 4, but he is definitely slower than both of them, uh, just in terms of things that they've accomplished. Uh, Flash with his universe breaking and Superman with his time turning back. Just not as impressive as Quicksilver's really fast uh, you know, repositioning of things. Okay, so we um, feel free to correct us if you want, but Dave has source links, so I don't know. I think his answer is unimpeachable there. Um, Can we just agree that Quicksilver does it cooler? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, we can. <laughs> With style at Mach 4. <laughs> Um, all right. So this, and speaking of the flash is a good transition to sort of our last question in the, in the regular section. Um, it's, it's quite a long email from, from a fellow named John who did not, did not identify where he comes from, but, um, 
I want to talk a little bit about what he said before getting to his question, because he says, uh, not only one of my favorite comic book movies, but just one of my favorite movies in general is Adam West's Batman the movie. And I just want to say that I have seen that movie several times, and I also love it. So um, <laughs> it's really great. He says, I remember being entertained by it as a kid with its cheesy, gl- with all its cheesy glory, but I recently resurfed it, resurfaced upon it as a slightly more adept adult and found that it holds up more entertainment value than pure nostalgia for me anyway. It's ridiculous and can't be sure, but at its heart, it's a movie unapologetic for what it is and spends no time not having fun with itself. Um and then so John goes on to ask about tone in terms of comic book properties. He mentions that, uh, and this is a common criticism you'll hear of the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe, which is that it's too samey, uh, that it's that its films do not have enough of an identifying style or tone to make them interesting. And so what we're getting, I mean, and this is the biggest criticism I hear from people who get frustrated with how many uh, movies, how many talented actors, how many talented directors are being sucked into the Marvel Universe because they're uninterested in these films because they feel like they're too much the same film over and over again. Uh, and I can kind of see that criticism and also kind of disagree with that criticism. Uh, this was even lobbed at, at James Gunn's Guardian of the Galaxy, which was supposed to be the weird Marvel movie. And most people are like, it wasn't weird enough. Um, anyway, so uh, and and then he goes on to ask about, you know, the TV shows. And one good example of of tonal mismatching versus matching is what Warner Brothers is doing on the CW. Dave and I have talked in the past about how the various platforms will inform the show. So the CW will have that teen soap opera sort of gloss that it will put on its on its uh, DC shows that it's doing, The Flash and Arrow. Um, but they're both, their very different Arrow is very anchored in reality. The Flash is all about these metahuman of the week sort of uh, playing that they're doing. What's interesting is that coming up soon, I think it's this next week, there's a crossover episode between The Flash and Arrow. Um, so it's going to be one of those great, you know, Buffy and Angel on the same network sort of thing where you're going to get one hour on The Flash and then one hour on Arrow of the same villain, some guy named, I believe, Captain Boomerang, I believe. Anyway, um, and and what one of the Arrow showrunners said was, or the, yes, that he said that having the Flash on Arrow made him realize that they could get a little looser with Arrow. They've been pretty dedicated to keeping it more anchored in reality. And that, that with the metahumans over an Arrow, it just didn't seem as weird as they were afraid it might be. Um, so that that was a lot of me talking. Uh, but the question, I guess, at the end of the day is about... Um, do you think there's a problem with a variety of tones in these kinds of movies and TV shows? And what kinds of directions would you like to see certain characters go in the future? Gail, do you have any thoughts on this, on, on tonal problems? Um, I, well, I, I'm inclined to agree, agree, excuse me, with the person who wrote in about Marvel being a little samey, um, or, the, or that criticism. Um, I, I was kind of surprised like way back when Thor came out because that was a Kenneth Branagh film and I just I would never have known. I would never have known that Kenneth Branagh had directed that film. I wasn't I wasn't really thrilled with that one. Um and I'm very unpopular in actually liking the second Thor movie better. But <laughs> Um, I, I thought Guardians actually did have a, a different tone and um I'm hoping that now that they have shield, I, I think that shield is just, it, it, up, 
it upholds that tone. It keeps going with where you know what Marvel has set out. It seems to be um, an easy way that they can unify different characters without you know um, without isolating them. I guess in their own universes, like you can always come back uh, and connect them through Shield, supposing that everybody is watching Shield. Um, I, I would like to see them do more films like Guardians where they, they kind of break out of that mold because, I mean, the comics certainly have different tones to them. Some of them are goofier than others. Um, some of them, you know, take themselves very seriously. And I think by the time we get to, you know, in humans, you have a character with prehensile hair. Something's got to give. Like, it, I, I know that it's going to have to... You were talking in a previous episode about... Um, preparing the audience for uh, more and more out there characters, and um, it's going to be important to keep the universe unified, so to speak. But you know, each of these groups of characters is going to, I think, require a little bit different treatment in in terms of direction and um, and even visuals. So, yeah, I you know, if if we're rolling out Phase Three, and there's God, how many movies coming out? I mean something like nine films, then I would like to see a little more variety. I don't think they'll be financial failures, but I think that would keep me more excited to see the next one. Dave, my first question for you is, why didn't you tell me about the prehensile hair? Secondly, <laughs> she is a queen and I... Oh, she's wanted- the best. I love that character. She's going to be great. Yeah, no, she is... Man, I hope she pops up uh, actually before her featured movie. I would love I'd- to see her show up in S.H.I.E.L.D. Sorry for interrupting you. That would be great. Oh, yeah, just in S.H.I.E.L.D. or oh, maybe in Captain Marvel... I would just like to see her show up. Uh, She's right now just darted in and out of the Captain Marvel comic book. And everything about that comic book is amazing and uh, whatnot. She's also a part of the FF when Ant-Man, Scott Lang, was leading it. But I don't know. I guess I can't touch that property while adapting. Right. Anyway, Uh, that's why I didn't tell you about the hair. Quickly, what's her name? (laughs) That character? Medusa. Oh, it's Medusa. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> Dave, give me your thoughts on tone. Uh, tone. I still think that you could vary tones based on what sort of story you're telling. It's not so much about like painting a universe or whatnot. I think if anything, uh, Josh. I just forgot his name. I guess I could scroll up. John um, is sort of kicking back to the fact that these are all built to be blockbusters, and that's more limiting than. Uh, the tone of whatever story you're choosing to tell. The character's going to adapt to the medium if you do it successfully. So I hope that we're going to see a lot of fun experimentation with the lesser-known characters and whatnot and the various tones they can exploit on the television shows. But in terms of the movies, uh, really, I think the only option that I can see moving forward is these November movies maybe possibly being allowed to be a tiny bit more serious. Um, like holiday romps instead of uh, let's get out of the heat and turn off our brains uh, midsummer or early summer releases. So that gives you like a Black Panther and Inhumans. Uh, I don't know. Black Panther could be pretty heady and weird. I, I don't, it seems like the movies uh, just, they're delivering, they're so expensive to make and they're delivering such a big punch and they're so interwoven in that uh, I don't, think they're even thinking about 
tone at this point. It's like a putting a puzzle piece. It's like, how many characters can we fit into Civil War to make it feel like a Civil War, but to not tarnish any future characters and not make this movie fall flat on its face? They're just so beyond basic tone questions. That's still stuff that's happening, as we can see, with Flash versus Arrow, because they have to turn it out. Uh, for less budget, but more often. So that's where you get to have cool things like Captain Boomerang being the crossover villain. Why? Why not? That's <laughs> why not. Um, excellent. Well, actually, that that seg- I lied when I said that was our last regular section question because that segues quickly over to this is my question for me, Joanna from California, asking about Apocalypse and the upcoming X-Men Apocalypse film. We just found out that Oscar Isaac, who is in Inside Lewin Davis and Drive and going to be in the new Star Wars film, uh, you know, he's blowing up and they've cast him as Apocalypse. And so he is going to be the supervillain of of this upcoming thing. And and Everything that I heard about Days of Future Past was all these hints being dropped that Apocalypse was coming and people were just really excited about that storyline. So I know that it means a lot to a lot of comic book readers. But my question when I'm running down the cast list and also knowing that they're casting for a young Jean Grey and a young Cyclops is, oh my God, at what point does X-Men just explode from all the characters that they have in there? Uh, Days of Future Past was was rough going in terms of screen time. You know, like, why have Ellen Page in that movie for what she was doing? Do you know? Like, um, They cut uh, Oscar winners from that movie. <laughs> right. Wow. So it's just, it's, it's a little... Uh, I don't know. X-Men seems to be groaning under trying to be the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe in one, you know, solid franchise. Huh. And uh, and I don't know if Os- uh, someone like Oscar Isaac is just going to get, like, why bother casting someone as great as Oscar Isaac if he's going to get lost in all of that? So, uh, Dave, do you have any thoughts about uh, nah. Well, I mean, I told my girlfriend when I heard this happen, and she's like, wait, this is with also with James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender? And I was like, yes. And she's like, I don't think I can physically handle that. <laughs> and I don't have the heart and to tell her. And possibly Channing Tatum as Gambit. Right. I don't have the heart to tell her that he's blue and has like stuff <laughs> connecting <laughs> the sides of his mouth up through his... So, I mean, it's fine. He's going to be... He's... As a somebody whose star power, star value is going up, I think he's more attached to Star Wars than he is to X-Men. Uh, it's just nice to see them not put uh, a lesser person in there because it's going to be a blue-faced guy that's around for probably one movie. So it's nice to see the caliber, and I don't, I don't know how much money they're spending just getting these names to fill in these bit parts but they're hoping it you know precipitates somehow they're hoping that you know he's the josh brolin if they need him to be but uh probably won't gail do you have any any thoughts or feelings on apocalypse or x-men at all um i well i'm inclined to agree that there are an awful lot of x-men to keep track of in the films but there are a lot of x-men like period that's there there are tons of them and i wonder if part of the I mean, I I have to admit I didn't really think that Days of Future Past. I thought it was a confused film, and um, that maybe some more Oscar winners could have been cut out on it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or at least some minutes. I don't know. Um, but uh, I think I, I think part of it is trying to please the fans because the fans get really excited when you know their special X Men that they identify with pops up in the film. Um, 
I'm hoping that the apocalypse storyline kind of brings them back together and that they pick a few key X-Men to sort of focus on for this film. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that um, Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy are coming back for the film. And um, I'm, I'm assuming that Jennifer Lawrence will, too. Uh, but to, to focus a little bit more on, you know, a smaller group of people and their story together, because otherwise it, it's just like this huge ensemble chorus line of X-Men <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And I don't think that I don't I just don't think it's a reasonable way to build a story that's going to mean anything. So I'm hoping this next movie pulls everybody together a little bit better. I mean, they did bring a core out of first class, you know, like they got rid of a bunch yeah. of chaff out of the first class movie but then they just added more in this in days of future past and i think a bunch of those are going to be gone and so in theory our core is mystique beast charles and eric like that's that's the core of this new sort of thing and hugh jackman because you know why not and everything always but um (laughs) certainly i think i think that's what they've made that the heart right of like the current x-men group um and uh, the, you know, the Jean Grey and Cyclops casting, I, you know, based on especially the Cyclops, uh, the three choices they have for the young Scott Summers, it, you had made some comments to me uh, that it doesn't seem like they're investing a lot in finding some the perfect person to play that young person. So I, I have a feeling they'll just be sort of like a little glimpse, like, hey, there's this little person, too. Well, uh, I but- mean, yeah. Possibly. I mean, if if we look at Last Stand, the way that they focused on um, Jean Grey and Phoenix, it's possible that they'll be, you know, more interested in that character in this next film. Yeah, I definitely, you know, because it's Chloe Grace Moritz, uh, Haley Stanfield, and who's the third one? Elle El Fanning. El, yeah, yeah, okay. So basically, it's like two of the girls who auditioned for Katniss and Elle Fanning. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> Like if you list, by the way, if you go back in time and look at all the actresses who auditioned for Katniss, it is crazy. It's crazy. Wow. It's, it's every actress that was that age at that time. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I think Jean Grey is going to be important and Cyclops is going to be basically a walk on. Like I just don't see them giving that kid a lot of room, especially since they said they were going to give Evan Peters Quicksilver much more screen time, which is great because yeah. I thought he was fantastic. Well, but, that's not hard. Yeah. To give him more screen time than <laughs> Days of true. Future Press. That's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to roll into the advanced section. We are almost done. Sorry, we're running a little long. Um, but this is a this is a split question. This was the second half of... Uh, oh, okay, yeah. So this is the advanced section, so go away if you don't want to hear it. Um, and if you have any questions for us, uh, you can email us at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, leave us a review, leave us a rating, um, and we will see you newbies next week. All right, are they gone? Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. Get out of here. All right. So in the advanced section, uh, this is our last question. And this is just because I like it when Dave talks about who's going to die. It's one of my favorite things <laughs> to, to let Dave do. And he loves to do it. So you might have even answered this question before, but we're going to do it again anyway. Um, Neil says, my question for discussion centers around the death of a character in the comics and whether or not they'll do it in the movies. I remember in the Civil War comic book, Mr. Fantastic, crea- Mr. Fantastic created a clone of the dead Thor who then killed killed a major member of the resistance, which sent a lot of awe throughout those members of the resistance. With all that speculation that one of the core Avengers will die in the next movie, do you think it's possible that Thor dies in Avengers 2 and we see this plot point come to pass in Civil War? David? 
Uh, I don't think Thor is going to die in Avengers 2. He's I, dying um, in Ragnarok, right? That's your theory. Yeah, I think he's going to die in Ragnarok. And there have been some tweets from the writer of that movie that uh, seems to be that he's killing everybody. So it seems to be that Ragnarok is going to see some Hiddle death and some... Hiddle <gasps> death! <laughs> the worst kind of death. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the not not a lot of good things are coming for either of the Hemsworth family's banner characters in future <laughs> movies either. <clears throat> but I don't think uh, I tried to like Google around and figure out where this idea that there's going to be a dead Avenger in Avengers Two, and as far as I can tell, it just comes from the fact that Joss Whedon kills somebody we like in his movies, like basically every time. Oh. So I mean, I guess that uh, that puts. I don't know. I don't think that puts anybody at risk. I think we need all our characters. I do think they're going to shoot the Hulk into space. But in terms of a uh, character crossing the line um, in Civil War, I don't think, since we know Mr. Fantastic and Thor won't be dead, and the idea of cloning uh, actually I don't think is in the universe yet. Um, There won't be a cloned Thor. I think you let Tony Stark kill somebody because awesome. Wow. (laughs) Who would he kill? Well, one of the other heroes, um, <laughs> this, is, this is where you fold in somebody from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that nobody liked. And, uh, Sky? Guess, He's going to kill Sky? Well, I mean, the obvious... <laughs> now we know who Joanna doesn't like. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, you could... Man, kill Sky. Okay, we're talking about Civil War. Who is he going to kill? If he's going to kill somebody Whedon-related, I hope he kills Franz Kranz Speedball, which is a badly kept secret that he's going to pop up at some I point. I didn't know that. Oh, well, we're in the spoiler Secret's section. out. <laughs> um, Speedball was also the character that caused the inciting incident in the Civil War comic line series. He caused this event while there was a recording in a reality TV series that had an explosion by a school that killed a whole bunch of kids. So Speedball sort of sort of tied up in Civil War. I think having him die in Civil War would be a nice little nod to us comic fans that lived through Speedball being important for a hot second. Okay, so Friend Kranz, for people who don't know, he played Topher on Dollhouse. He's also the stoner hero of Cabin in the Woods. He is a Whedon regular, so this sounds very plausible to He me. has a deleted tweet that said something like Speedball and Mockingbird, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. soon, and it was oh. for like six hours, and then somebody... Made Some, him take it down. Someone gave him a phone call. He pulled an Idris Elba is what you're telling me. Yeah. Um, yeah, kill him off. That, that'll be fine. Kill Hemdall? No, kill him off. Go, don't kill Hemdall. <laughs> well, if we do well, until death, Ragnarok. then we got to do Elba death, too. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, if Hiddle oh. death is on the table, then Elba death is on the table, too. All right. Kill um, everyone I like. Fine. <laughs> you guys will all have, we'll, we'll have great articles to write about the top five deaths in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> oh... Um, I think, th- I mean, just, there's just no topping Hiddle death. Like once you, go, there's, what, is he gonna, is he gonna come back? Is that what oh, you Oh yeah. I mean, I I think the whole world and all the old gods are reborn from the sea. I don't know how right. the sea gets bigger than the, the whole universe, but yeah, you know, they'll be back. Okay. Well, if they, if they follow, or if they care at all about the, the comic source in the Straczynski comic that, you know, that deals with. Thor coming back and and everybody coming back and then you have Lady Loki and that's exciting. I don't I doubt they'll do that, but I don't know. 
Yeah, they could go in all those directions. I think there's, oh, I forget, I always forget how many Ragnaroks there's been in the comics, but there's been more than one. So there's a lot to yeah. pull from and the magic of new movie making. That yeah. sounds like a fundamental misunderstanding of the concept of Ragnarok for there no, to no. be more than one, it's right? The, it's the cycle of rebirth. Okay. It's, okay. it's not yeah. the end of the world. It's a cycle. No, no, no. Yeah, it's like, world. It's, like <laughs> o- it's like Odin's sleep where it's like, <laughs> what's happening? He's sleeping again. Why? It's just something he does. <laughs> He puts it off, though. <laughs> Don't yeah. think about it. He just does not it. quite tired yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Is there anything else we want to talk about comic book related this week? No, that is a resounding no. We are just sitting here stunned by the prospect of Hiddle Death. Um, so that's about it for us this week. Uh, Gail, where can people find you on Twitter? Um, I'm on Twitter at Clockwork Rose. Um, yeah, and you'll see me talk about. Not much intermittently, but uh, you'll see me do a lot of exchanging with Joanna. There you go. Uh, Dave, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DA7E about superheroes and Star Wars at latino-review.com and about mega franchising at Forbes.com and in the secret fifth Harry Potter house, Hiddle Death. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Once again, you can send us an email, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can tweet at us. You guys are doing great with the feedback. It's been really, really fun. So keep it coming. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week. Thank you.